Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We've been talking on Sundays about uh, what Paul said. He said in Philippians 1.7, you are all partakers of my grace. That's in the old, older King James. That's Philippians 1.7. You are partakers of my grace. The new King James says you are partakers with me of grace. Uh, the Young's literal translation says all of you, that is all of those people at the church at Philippi, being fellow partakers with me of grace. I talked about this morning the fact that there are different kinds of grace uh, in the Bible. You know, the word grace means the favor, unmerited favor of God. It's also the word that's commonly translated a gift. The word that's gift is sometimes translated grace. And uh, we found out there's saving grace. All grace comes from God, but it's manifested in different arenas. One is saving grace. There's general ministering grace. There's specific ministry grace associated with a person's calling and what God has called them to do. Whatever God calls you to do, he will equip you and he will grace you to do it. Amen. I know whenever I, I went to, uh, to Bible school, I had no intentions of pastoring a church. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't think I, I wanted to pastor a church. I mean, I, I knew I didn't. And I wasn't even considering it. And, uh, and the Lord made a pastor out of me. And I found out that, guess what? There's grace there to do it. Amen. Whatever God calls you to do and, and uh, leads you into, he will give you the grace to do it. And if the grace isn't there, don't do it. Amen. If, the, if God's called you into some kind of ministry, uh, there'll be grace there for it. And if the grace isn't there, have enough sense to not do it. A lot of people, lot of people uh, are trying to be in full-time ministry and they've never been called to full-time ministry and there's no grace there. Amen. One thing about it, you know, if God calls you to preach, you'll be anointed to preach. Now, you might not have a strong anointing every time as you do other times. You know, we can all, we can all testify to that. See, every preacher has a stronger anointing sometimes than other times, a less anointing. But, you know, if you're called to preach, you'll be able to preach. If you can't preach, you're not called. I said, if you can't preach, you're not called to preach. I mean, God would be stupid to call you to preach and not put the preach in you. Amen. He'd be dumb to call you to teach and not give you the ability to teach. Amen. Whatever God calls you to do, he will grace you to do it. And so we talked about uh, these different kinds of graces. and We discussed the fact that, that Paul had been given grace uh, to preach a gospel uh, a measure or a level or a degree of truth that really was unparalleled. The other apostles of the New Testament uh, uh, taught and gave what they had, and we know that all scripture is, is inspired of God, but uh, Paul was given some depth along certain lines in, in theological certain circles. It's called the Pauline Revelation or Paul's Revelation, and it has to do with what happened uh, to Jesus from the time he was made sin on the cross. What happened during the three days and three nights that his body laid in the tomb. 
what happened whenever he was, uh, his spirit was made alive, when he came up out of hell, his body was raised up that morning, and what happened during the 40 days that followed that, what happened on the, on the 10 days after he ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, you don't, hear, you don't understand any of those things reading the Gospels. Reading the Gospels, all you would see is Jesus crucified, and you see darkness on the face of the earth, and you see that the, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, but without reading Paul's epistles, you'd never know why. You'd never know what happened. Amen. And Paul was given that revelation of what happened to, to Jesus after he was raised from the dead, when he ascended into heaven and sat down, what happened during the 40 days that followed that, uh, uh, as God pr made preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, uh, excuse me, the 10 days that followed that after the, uh, in preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We know what happened on the day of Pentecost, what it means. All of this has to do with the Pauline revelation. Even though others saw some of it, Paul was given a very unique and very in-depth uh, revelation concerning redemption, who we are in Christ. In fact, the phrase or the term in Christ is almost, not completely, I don't think, but almost exclusively a Pauline expression, in Christ. You find that throughout his epistles, what it means to be in Christ. The whole mystery of, of the church, really, uh, Paul said this in Colossians, he said that it was given to him to fulfill, that word fulfill there means to complete the word of God, to complete the revelation given to man. And so uh, we talked this morning about following men. Uh, what does the Bible teach about following men? You know, sometimes I'll run into people and they'll say, particularly, you know, if they're young Christians, baby Christians, they'll sometimes say, I just want you to know, all I need is the Bible. I'm just following the Bible. I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm just all about the Bible. I'm just gonna get in the Bible and that's all. And I don't wanna, I don't listen to anybody. I, I don't need anybody to teach me or instruct me. I'm just getting to the Bible. They always get into error. Well, I had about three people right down here agree with me. Amen. People that say that always get into error because if they're into error to start with. See, it sounds good. It sounds real good. I just need Jesus. I don't, I, I ju I'm just going to take the Bible and that's all I need. But, but see, the, the, it's, and a lot of times they'll look at this scripture. Turn with me over there to 1 John, 2nd chapter. 1 John chapter 2. And let's look at this familiar passage. Amen. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Verse 20 says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Verse 24, therefore let that, let that abide in you which, we, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received abides, you have received from him abides in you and you do not need anyone that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it, taught, it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so sometimes people have the idea, I don't need anybody. I've got the Holy Spirit in me and, I ha and he's my teacher and I've got the Bible and that's all I need. Well, again, that sounds good, but it's real simplistic. 
Because it doesn't take into consideration some other things the Bible says about how he teaches us. Yes, the Holy Spirit is our teacher and the word of God is what the Holy Spirit brings to us. It's what he reveals to us. But he has different methods and channels to teach you. One, one way he teaches you is through teachers. Now God has set these in the church, 1 Corinthians 12 says, first apostles, secondarily prophet, prophets, third teachers. Now, and then after that, miracles and, and gifts of healings, that's the evangelist's office and helps and uh, governments and in diverse kinds of tongues, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Now in that passage, that's not talking about the layman speaking in tongues and giving interpretation of tongues, which is scriptural. But in that passage in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 28, 12, 28, in, in, uh, in, in those verses there, he's talking about ministry offices. And so that tongues and interpretation is someone who has a ministry along that line. It's very closely related to the prophet's ministry. And uh, now those, those ministries that are listed there are not listed in order of their uh, importance or their rank. They're listed in order of which ones came first. God first started out with the apostles. That's, those were the only uh, ministry gifts that were there. And so their apostles came first and after that prophets and teachers. And you notice that governments is a little bit further down in the, in the line there. It's because it takes longer for people to develop as a pastor. Amen. Because of the requirements of pastoring. Someone has to be really grounded in the word and in, in dealing with people and situations. That's why very often the best pastoral team is a husband and a wife. And we see that in the New Testament. Now, the, the Bible doesn't call Aquila and Priscilla pastors, but if you look at what they did, they were pastors. Everywhere they went, they had a church in their home, and they instructed believers. They even took uh, Apollos, a traveling teacher, aside and instructed him in the way of the Lord more exactly, more correctly. And so Aquila and Priscilla were pastors, and, and, and notice it was a husband and wife team. Pastoring, pastoral ministry is, is best suited. I can say this, a husband and wife ministering together is, is, is more suited to the pastoral ministry than any of the others because you deal with a family. And there are a lot of things that my wife uh, can take care of in the church a lot better than I can. Amen. And because you, you need a woman's touch and, and particularly in dealing with women about certain things, you know, certain things I just, I just give to her. Now, you know, a pastor that's, that's unmarried, uh, you know, uh, he can be successful, but I tell you what, not nearly as easy as a pastor that has a wife who is, recognizes her role in ministry, that they're a team. God puts husband and wives together as a team in pastoral ministry. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but it's good anyway. And the traditional church has, has completely disregarded this. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, uh, it's, it's hurt the church because of it. A lot, a lot has been robbed and, and stolen from the church because uh, pastors' wives were not given the place they should have in the local church. And so uh, God put these ministries in the church. Notice he put teachers in the church. Well, why in the world would he put a teacher, put teachers in the church if you have the Holy Spirit and you don't need teachers? Huh? 
Over in Ephesians, the list of ministries over there talks about apostles. When Jesus ascended on high, led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Actually, in the original Greek, in Ephesians, pastor and teacher is, is in the, in, in grammatically, is that how you say that? It's actually a hyphenated. Those two words are linked together in the original Greek. So a lot of translations say pastors who are also teachers. And so the, the pastoral ministry is best uh, uh, equipped when, when the pastor recognizes his ability to teach. And I, I advise young pastors all the time, if you're really called to pastor, if you'll study and, and, and keep your heart right and press in, you'll find, if, you, if you're careful and, and dig into it, you'll find that you really are gifted to teach. Pastors need to be teachers. Now, some teachers can, 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 can have that ministry and not be a pastor. There are, past, there are teachers that aren't pastors, but most, most true pastors are teachers, pastors and teachers together. And so uh, why would God put pastors in the church? A pastor is a shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. It comes from the Greek word uh, uh, that means a shepherd. Pastors are shepherds. Well, you know, uh, sheep need a shepherd. Amen. Amen. And, and somebody that says, well, I don't need anybody. It's just me and Jesus, my Bible, and the Holy Ghost. Well, then you would think poor old God would have known better than that. Seems like old God, you know, I mean, he's old. He's been around a long time. Maybe he's forgotten, you know, what he, what, how he created people. No, he knows and, 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 and designed that sheep have a pastor to bring the word of God to them. And so this idea that I don't need anything, you know, is, is not scriptural. Uh, the reason for that, go with me over to, uh, to uh, go to 2 Timothy. And let's look at <clears throat> chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2. Paul is writing to Timothy and, and, and to him, by extension, he's writing to other ministries. He said, be diligent in verse 15. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This, this admonition goes to everybody, obviously. We should all try to, to rightly divide the, the word of truth. But pastors and teachers are especially uh, given the responsibility of breaking down the word of God. Uh, uh, pastors are especially equipped you in 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 uh, I'll just say especially equipped with the grace and the gift to uh, discern the word of God and and uh, watch for extremes in doctrine. A lot of times, the, some of the other ministries, apostles and prophets and evangelists, because of their particular office and their particular focus, they can become very uh, uh, closed-minded and just focused on one particular truth. You know, we, we talk about, we've been talking about the ministry of Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin was a prophet and a teacher. Now, he was also an apostle. Now, he never, he never claimed to be an apostle, but according to the New Testament, he had all the signs of an apostle. And, uh, but his main ministry, his, his pulpit ministry, had to do with prophet and teacher. And, uh, you know, he was, God raised him up to preach faith, to teach faith. But he also had uh, enough wisdom to know that faith isn't everything. 
Amen. The Bible teaches a lot in addition to faith. And Brother Hagin was the thing that I loved about him. He was so balanced that he preached faith, you know, better than anybody I ever heard. He understood faith. But he also put it within the, the framework of all of the other truths of the Bible. And a, and a, and a pastor uh, is uniquely qualified, or, or especially, I should say, especially qualified to take the Word of God and to, and to uh, interpret in, in light of and in, and in harmony with all of the other themes of the New Testament. And uh, people can get, just reading the Bible, you know, you can get sidetracked and just see one thing and it makes perfect sense to you when you look at it in the scriptures, but you're not seeing the whole picture. And so that's why God put pastors in the church and as well as the other ministries to rightly divide the word of God. So don't, don't fall to that uh, you know, to that temptation to think, well, you know, all I need is the Bible and it's just me and the Holy Ghost. Well, uh, if you ever think about it, when, when he said the, the anointing, we just read over there in First John, the anointing that abides you in you will teach you all things. But when somebody else is teaching by the Holy Spirit, if I'm teaching by the Holy Spirit, by the anointing, that is the anointing teaching. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We talked about you know, following men, is it scriptural to follow men? Well, uh, de it depends on what you mean by that. Amen. If you're talking about following someone uh, away from the scriptures and outside of, of the word of God, then that's wrong. It can be divisive. It can be dangerous. But at the same time, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And, uh, and he talked about about ministers that uh, he said you need to obey those and follow those who have the rule over you uh, and, and they are and follow their example. See, in, in, in Acts it talked about being examples to the flock. Well, why in the world would a pastor be an example to the flock if the flock's not supposed to follow the, advan the example? Amen. So, you know, we all follow somebody uh, in the word of God. Amen. We follow Paul. We follow Peter. We follow James, don't we? We follow all because those, you know, they were just ordinary men. They weren't, they weren't supermen. They weren't born of a virgin. You know, they were ordinary men. And God put them in the body of Christ to teach. And, and we follow them. Uh, and like I said, Paul was, he recognized that his gospel was in some sense, in some, in some way, uh, distinct from the others. Not, it didn't contradict the others, but it, it brought out a fullness and a depth in what Jesus had shown him. And so, you know, we have, we've, ba we've basically, as a church, we're followers of the Pauline revelation. Amen. We have been influenced by Kenneth Hagin over the years because Dad Hagin uh, was influenced by the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, our church... Our calling and our vision at Impact is derived from the revelations given to the Apostle Paul that Kenneth Hagin picked up and, and, and grasped and they became real in his life. And Jesus brought a, a lot of these things out that had been lost to the church. Now, you know, true revelation from God or true illumination from the scripture, somebody else has seen it before. Amen. There are people today, you know, that come up with these new revelations that no one's ever heard of. Uh, that's a good uh, place to be cautious. 
When somebody says they've got something no one's ever seen. All of the truths that, that Brother Hagen championed in, in, in his life, other people saw those things. But, and and even, even in his day, there were people that saw some of those things, different, different aspects. But you know, uh, God just used Brother Hagen to bring these things to the body of Christ in a, in a more uh, uh, concise way and, and, to, and to get the word out, basically. God honored his ministry, and, and he went worldwide and uh, thank God for that. Amen. Now, I had you look at uh, or read, I believe in visions. And the reason I had you read that is that uh, in chapter two, if you'll remember this, how many of you read the book, I believe in visions? You remember in chapter two, uh, the title of the chapter is Come Up Hither. And uh, it, uh, in chapter two, Brother Hagen talks about the first revelation or the first uh, vision he had, I should say, vision of the Lord Jesus. And this happened in, in September of 1950. He was in a tent meeting. And uh, I've got a book at home that, they, that the Kenneth Hagin Ministries published back in 1984, uh, celebrating 50 years in ministry. And uh, I don't know, before I saw that picture, when I read that account of Brother Hagin in this tent meeting, because as a child, I had attended some of the big tent meetings that were held, you know, some of the evangelists. And I remember going to tent meetings of T.L. Lowry. Some of you remember him. And there were thousands of people. I and mean, his tent was way bigger than this church is. I mean, three times the size of this church. Thousands of people present, you know. And I remember those big tents. And, and, and when I, I read I Believe in Visions, that book came out in 1972. I read it in the early 70s. I don't know, you know, maybe 73, 74, I guess. I read that book and I could see Brother Hagen in that tent meeting and I had this picture of this gigantic tent well when Kenneth Hagin Ministries published that little book on uh, 50 years of ministry they put a, a picture of that little tent remember that tent we we had out here that time when when we broke ground it was about that size it was a little old tent and uh, might have had you know room for 50 people in it but uh, Brother Hagin was in that tent in Rock, Rockwall, Texas, and you know, if you read it, you know, uh, he heard the words, come up, you know, come up, you know, come up to the throne of God. He looked up and Jesus was standing there. And, uh, and so, you know, he, Jesus took him to heaven and took him to hell and showed him some things about the future and, you know, what would come to pass and, and, and all of those things. And in the vision, uh, brother, uh, Jesus told Brother Hagin some details, quite, quite a few details surrounding his birth that he didn't know at the time. This was in 1950. His mother had not told him these things. She had never told anybody except her mother, Brother Hagen's grandmother. And uh, Jesus said to Brother Hagen in that vision, he said, I appeared to your mother before you were born and said to her, fear not, the child shall be born for he, sh for he shall bear witness concerning my second coming. How many of you remember reading that? Uh, now, the next week, Brother Hagen said after that revival, that happened on a Saturday night and on Sunday they closed the meeting and, and the next week he was home and his mother came to visit that week. Well, this vision was fresh, you know, in, 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 on his mind. And so he, uh, during that week, you know, he sat down with his mother and he told her about the vision because he didn't know any of this stuff and his mother had never told her. So uh, he, told brother, he told his mother uh, what Jesus had said. Now, uh, when Brother Hagen told her that Jesus had said that he told her, fear not, the child shall be born for he shall bear, bear witness concerning my second coming. 
in the book, I Believe in Visions, he said his mother jumped. He said she almost jumped out of the chair. You remember that? When he told her that. And, uh, and then she went on to confirm that that's exactly what had happened. That uh, uh, she was walking down the street and she saw this cloud and there was no, there were no, uh, nothing around it except just this cloud. There were, and there, there was a sound of wind blowing through, through leaves, but there were no trees. And then this cloud came down and it got, you know, it got larger and larger until it got right there. And then Jesus was standing on this cloud. And uh, Jesus told her, and, and Brother Hagen said that, that the Lord told him that he said, I called you before you were born and separated from you from your mother's womb and that Satan has tried to take your life many times before you were born and many times thereafter, but I've watched over you and my angels have protected you even until this hour. Well, his mother confirmed all that. So it's what Jesus said. And uh, uh, G- Brother Hagen then said that his mother, I'm, I'm quoting here from I Believe in Visions, from that, from that uh, encounter he had with his mother, she said that Jesus, quote, was trying to tell me that my child would take part in the revival that would usher in the coming of the Son of Man. He would not, this is his mother talking, or Brother Hagen telling what she said, he would not be the only one, of course, but that he would have a part to play in the last great move of God's Spirit. Now, like I said, Brother Hagen's mother had never told anybody about this experience, including Brother Hagen. And uh, the only person who ever knew about it was was, uh, his grandmother. Well, uh, that's what's told in the book, I Believe in Visions. There's more to the story, however. There's an important part there there that Brother Brother Hagen did not tell in I Believe in Visions. And and so for when he published that uh, book in 1950, uh, he left out something that uh, he explained later. Now, you, you go forward 50, nearly 51 years, just a few weeks shy of 51 years, to July the 26, 2001. Uh, like I said, until, until this night, Brother Hagen had never told the rest of the story publicly. Now, he might have told it to a few people privately, but he had never told the rest of the story publicly. Uh, and he, I'm quoting here, he said, some things are so sacred and so special that you cannot talk about them and some things you don't need to talk about. I want you to understand that, he said. Then Brother Hagen, in, at camp meeting that night, and this is in 2001, uh, in July 2001, Brother Hagen recounted, retold the story as it is told in I Believe in Visions. Except when he got to the place where he told his mother, he's talking to his mother, He told his mother that Jesus said, I appeared to your mother before you were born and said to her, fear not, the child shall be born for he shall bear witness concerning my second coming. And I believe in visions, he just said that she jumped, sort of almost jumped out of her chair. In 2001 at camp meeting, this time he said that he jumped uh, like someone had stuck, she jumped like someone had stuck her with a pin. And he he said, now you can ask my wife, Aretha, because she was there. He said she jumped like you'd stuck her with a pen, and she, she, she very excitedly asked, what did he say? What did he say to name you? What did he say? Well, that's something he didn't include in, in I Believe in Visions. Brother Hagen said that in that vision, Jesus said that he told his mother, call his name John. For as John the Baptist was a forerunner of his first coming, he, eventually Brother Hagen, he'll be a forerunner to his second coming. 
Now, Brother Hagin said that night in 2001, he said, I've never said that before. He said, I wasn't permitted to say it before, but the Lord said, tonight's the time to tell it. Now, obviously, Brother Hagin's mother didn't name him John. She named him Kenneth Irwin, and Irwin's was the name of the doctor that delivered him, so she named him after him, and I don't know who, who, where Kenneth came from, but she named him Kenneth Irwin Hagin instead of John. But Jesus told Brother Hagin in the vision in, in 1915 when he told him about this, he said, uh, it makes no difference about the name. The thing that counts, he said, is the spirit and the works. Now, when you hear this, you could, you could scratch your head and say, now, wait a minute, this is getting kind of far-fetched. That Jesus told Brother Hagin's mother to name him John, and as John the Baptist was a forerunner of his first, of his first coming, Brother Hagin would be a forerunner to his second coming. Uh, and so that you know the, the thought obviously comes to your mind, are these the crazy imaginations of a, of a lunatic, of, of a fanatic? But I would answer the fruit of his life and ministry would suggest not so, that there's something that we need to, to uh, consider. Now, like I said this morning, in Bible, in Bible school, Brother Hagin taught us, those of you that went to Ramah, you know this, he, he talked to us about some things as ministers that he didn't talk about uh, in public, just in general crusades and things. But, but he, he warned us often about some of the others who had claimed they were to have special status before the return of the Lord. Uh, John Alexander Dowie, he, was, he, he called himself the third John the Baptist. Well, that sounds kind of similar to what Jesus allegedly said to Brother Hagin. The only difference is Dowie proclaimed this publicly and, and proclaimed some other things. He also said that he was the first apostle of the church. Brother Hagin warned us about people like William Branham. And uh, he became, you know, I talked this morning about knowing who you follow. And, it, and you have to be careful who you follow in life and ministry. Because you want to consider someone, someone's life, who, someone who has walked straight and whose ministry and life bear good fruit. Can I take a side journey for just a minute? Brother Hagin did that a lot. Can I take a side journey? It amazes me sometimes, even in the local church, how somebody will follow somebody in the church whose life is all messed up. I'm just trying to be kind, but I'm doing the best I can. There will be somebody in the church that, that, that will uh, say something about me and what I've taught. Uh, you know, pastor, and, and, and they'll be critical. And what amazes me is sometimes people will listen to that. And I'll think to myself, you know, I don't have to defend myself, but dear Lord, would the, are, are they just looking at who's talking? And sometimes these people, their lives are all messed up. There's not good fruit in their lives. It, there's, a, there's a lot of areas of fruit. I said there are a lot of areas of fruit in life. Look at somebody's life. Look at their family. Amen. Look at their children. Amazes me. How somebody will follow somebody whose children, you know, aren't following after the Lord. Their finances are all messed up. They've never, they, they've never been stable at anything, but, but people will follow them. 
you need to follow somebody that has, has got a life you can follow. Amen. Now, nobody's perfect. I don't mean to suggest that. Brother Hagin wasn't perfect. Nobody was perfect. We're all human. But at the, at the, at the same time, uh, look to people who consistently over their lifetime have stayed in the right way, gone the right way, taught the right things. There's balance. You know, I'm, I'm, Brother Hagin was big on balance and that's made me real big on balance. Every revelation in the Bible, if, it, if it's a true biblical revelation, if it's a truth, it will fit like this with all other Bible truths. And when somebody has a, a revelation or a Bible truth that, that, that uh, can't reconcile with the rest of the Bible, well, that's a good uh, 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 proof that that's not, there's something they don't understand. They might see something about it that's accurate, but they're not interpreting it right. And so uh, uh, Brother Hagin talked about these men. Branham uh, became entangled in doctrinal error. Now, he was a tremendous prophet. William Branham stood at the forefront of the prophets. In other words, he was considered the most accurate prophet in the land during the days in America in the healing revival from 1947 to 1958. Brother Hagin said the man was so accurate. Brother Hagin said far more accurate in the word of knowledge than he was or anybody else he knew. I mean, he would, people would come up, he could tell them exactly what was wrong with them? Well, they, one person after another in the healing line. He would read their mail. Sometimes he would, he, would, he would know their name before they got up to him. They didn't have cards or anything. He would tell them their name, other details about their life, tell them what they were doing that day and what kind of car they drove and who were they with before they came to the meeting. I mean, he just, he just operated in the word of knowledge and he, and he had a healing ministry that went along with that. He was a tremendous prophet. But... He wasn't very solid in, in doctrine. He wasn't very schooled in the word of God. You know, uh, prophets, a prophet's job is to inspire the teachers. It's the teacher's job to settle the prophets <laughs> and, and, and bring them into balance. And, uh, and thank God that, that Brother Hagin was a prophet and a teacher. And, uh, and so Brother Hagin was very knowledgeable in the word and in doctrine. Uh, William Branham was, was not. He, he, uh, uh, he got messed up in different kinds of, of doctrine. Then he insisted on teaching because uh, he saw people like Kenneth Hagin and some others, uh, Gordon Lindsay, who were such astute teachers, and he wanted to be a teacher, but he couldn't teach. And people would try to talk to him. Gordon Lindsay tried to talk to him. He tried, got him aside and said, man, you know, Brother, Brother Branham, don't teach. You're not a teacher. You don't make any sense when you get up and talk. But, uh, you know, he continued to, to go that way and he, he eventually fell into error. Uh, he said that he had come in the spirit of Elijah, that he was the end time messenger and the angel, the messenger of the seventh and final church age. Well, you don't even find that in the Bible. So, you know, what's the difference in people like that and Brother Hagin? So now, brother, now we find out in 2001, because I, I, I heard this when he, when he preached it at camp meeting. Uh, he said that uh, the Lord said, call his name John, for as John the Baptist was a forerunner of his first coming, he'll be a forerunner to his second coming. So what's different between the difference between some of these people and Brother Hagin? I know this, that if, if the Lord Jesus appeared to me in a vision when I was 23 years old and said and told me those things about my birth and said, you know, uh, 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 you know, you, you, you will be a forerunner. 
of the second coming of, of the Lord Jesus, just like Elijah, I mean, just like uh, John the Baptist was a forerunner of this first coming, you'll be a forerunner of his second coming. How long do you figure it'd take me to tell somebody that? Doug, Doug would have had postcards mailed out the next week. <laughs> he, he'd have had banners, he'd have been on television. I mean, most people are like that. Brother Hagen waited 51 years before he ever told anybody. Like I said, he, he, he told some people probably personally, but as far as publicly, he had, ne he had never said any of that before. Brother Hagen was a stickler, as he, that's the term he used. He said, I'm a stickler for the word. Every revelation that he ever received from the Lord, you, you remember there in, in, I believe in visions, when, when the Lord Jesus talked to him about, uh, 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 about the devil and, and, and how uh, it's unscriptural to pray that God would do something about the devil. And uh, you remember Jesus uh, appeared to Brother Hagin and, and there was this uh, evil spirit that got in between him and Jesus and put up the smoke screen and he was yakety yak yak and Brother Hagin's thinking, why doesn't Jesus do something about this demon? Can't, I can't hear what Brother Hagin's saying. Brother, and Brother Hagin said that Jesus just kept on talking like he didn't even know there was a, a, an evil spirit up there. And finally, out of desperation, Brother Hagin just said, shut up in the name of Jesus. And that demon fell down to the ground. He said, not only shut up, get out of here. And the demon ran off. And, and so Brother Hagin was still thinking, why didn't Jesus take care of that? And so Jesus said, now you wonder why I didn't do something about that evil spirit. He said, the reason I didn't was because I couldn't. You remember Brother Hagin saying that? And Brother Hagin said to Jesus, I, I didn't hear you right. Now, in I believe in visions, it just said it once, but other accounts of that, he asked, brother, he asked Jesus four different times. He kept coming back, no, I didn't hear that right. You didn't say you couldn't do it. You said you wouldn't do it. Jesus said, no, I said I couldn't do it. Brother Hagin said he pulled his ears like this. He said, no, I'm hearing stuff. I'm hearing this wrong. You, you could not have said you couldn't do it. You meant you wouldn't do it. And, brother, and, and Jesus said, no, I said I couldn't do it. And Brother Hagin said, you're gonna, he said, I've read the Bible 150 times and if there's anything like that in the Bible, I've never seen it. And Jesus said, well, there's son, there's a lot of things in the Bible you haven't seen. And, and Brother Hagin said, well, I tell you this much, he said, you're gonna have to give me three references and I want them from the New Testament. You know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He said, we don't live in the Old Testament, we're living in the New Testament. I want three New Testament uh, uh, proofs of that. And he said that Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go one better. I'll give you four references. Of course, the four references was Jesus, what he said in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Uh, James was one of the references. <clears throat> Peter was one of the references. And Paul was one of the references. So he gave scriptures from each one of those. He said, those are your four references. Well, that's the thing that I appreciated about Brother Hagin. I don't care what kind of a revelation he had. It had to be not just proven by one verse, but it had to have a solid foundation in the word of God. And, uh, and I'll just take another side journey. There are a lot of people that came out of the word of faith over the years. There, there were some teachers that, that God raised up. There's some great men that God raised up under Brother Hagen that now have national ministries and have for years. I, there was one particular man, be real careful here, there was one particular man that I followed real closely in the early days. Uh, there's Brother Hagen and this other uh, uh, minister and he was he was a giant in, in, in the word of faith still is and, uh, and I followed them both very carefully over a period of time I began to notice that the other man 
would, would get off into extremism in certain areas. Not false doctrine necessary, but he would take things, he would push the envelope into the extremity. I noticed Brother Hagin never did that. I stopped following that man. Now, I still receive from that man. He's on the scene nationally, you know, and, and I still receive from him. He's an anointed man of God, and there are others like him that have good ministries, and, and God has blessed them, and, and I'm not saying don't listen to them, but uh, I, just, I just made a note that, and I've seen it over the years, there's some people that will just take things and push it to the extreme. I noticed Brother Hagin never did that. I noticed this, that there, there are enough scriptures that teach, for instance, prosperity. There, there are so many scriptures. Brother Steve uh, Green, he, he quotes them very often. Uh, uh, Brother Doug does. All of us, you know, that, that have pulpits ministries, we talk about those scriptures. There are so many scriptures on prosperity that we don't have to find obscure scriptures that you have to twist and wring a prophecy or, or pro, a prosperity meaning out of that scripture. You know what I mean by that? You just wring it and squeeze it into the, and to, nobody else does there anything in there about prosperity, but if you wring it hard enough and twist it, you can make it into a prosperity scripture. Brother Hagin never did that. And he always told us at Bible school, you remember him saying this, he said, stick to the scriptures that are easily proved. Don't, you don't need to get off into these other things. Well, that troubles me sometimes. And that's why you hear me uh, very rarely will I ever refer to any of these other ministers. It's not that they're not good and they're not men of God. But I'm telling you, I like someone who sticks with proven scriptures that there's no question what they mean. And there's so many of them. <laughs> there, there's plenty of evidence of, to, to, to validate what we believe without... Uh, finding scriptures that you can just, you know, twist to that, uh, to that degree. I also noticed that over the years, Brother Hagin would prove out uh, things that he would receive from the Lord. He wouldn't just come into the pulpit. I see this so often today. I see, and I can think of so many examples of ministers that got this revelation and they immediately went out and preached it and, and, and proclaimed it publicly in big meetings and then within a year or two, it starts bearing some really bad fruit. You start seeing, you know, that really doesn't add up. And Brother Hagin would never do that. He would take us, he got revelation on prosperity. He didn't preach it for a number of years. Whenever the Lord revealed to him that it was his will to prosper, he started putting it into practice in those little meetings. He said, you know, if, if, if it won't work for me, it's not going to work for anybody else. And he would go into those small churches where they didn't have two dimes to rub together hardly. And he would claim, you know, for them a crazy amount of money. And God would supernaturally meet his need and, and respond because he had a budget he had to meet. And the church couldn't do it. But God would, would supernaturally supply those, those needs. And so he proved out these, these doctrines and these truths before he presented them to the body of Christ. I appreciate that. Like I said, uh, uh, he stayed away from extremes in every area. Uh, I, I appreciated Brother Hagin's personal and ministerial ethics. That's one thing that, that I learned, fortunately, young in life. My father and my family uh, and, and the church that I belong to, we believed in scriptural ethics, treating people right, uh, living honest before people. Uh, Brother Hagen, you know, he, he had so many people in his lifetime attacking him, uh, just calling him every kind of name you can think of. 
attacking his ministry because of the, of the truths that he gave. You know, it stirs the devil up. And uh, Brother Hagin walked in love towards these people. He never answered back. He never, he never criticized them. Uh, and, and he exemplified uh, excellence in ethics and behavior. Now, let's, let's go back to this meeting at camp meeting. At camp meeting, 2001, Brother Hagin went on to explain why he had never shared this publicly in 51 years. Why hadn't he, he asked. He said he never wanted to attract attention to himself. He always insisted on attracting attention to Jesus. For instance, he, in, at camp meeting, he, he said, for instance, and then he shared about certain spiritual manifestations he had experienced over the years that he had never told anybody about. He said, for instance, during the healing uh, revival, uh, during those days, he said some of the ministers, as they were ministering healing, oil would appear uh, on the palms of their hands, just, just supernatural, just be wet with oil. And, of course, we know that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. He said these men would talk about it. They'd make a big thing about, oh, tonight I've got the oil in my hand. Brother Hagin said that uh, there were occasions when oil appeared on his hands. He never mentioned it. He never told anybody. He didn't draw any attention to it. He said because, you know, after all, what, what does that mean? Just because you've got oil in your hands. He says what it does, it sensationalizes things. And you can say, well, why does God do it? I don't know. But I appreciated the fact that Brother Hagin wouldn't tell anybody about it. He said, I just went ahead and ministered. And uh, he said, even when he was telling this at camp meeting, he said, it still happens to him occasionally. He said, this was in 2001. He said, we were recently in, in Denver. And I was sitting on the platform and I was getting ready to minister in the healing line. He said, I looked down and there's oil in my hand. He said, he punched uh, Rich King, who was sitting, his crusade director, sitting next to him. He said, look at that, there's oil in my hand. But he never told anybody publicly about it. And he said that uh, because he said he never tried to attract attention to himself, nor would he. He always wanted to attract attention to Jesus. I know this over the years that, that I knew him and followed him. Uh, you've heard me say this before. He would almost never let anybody introduce him. If he was in a meeting, if it was his meeting, they would just give it to him. If occasionally, you know, he was in somebody else's meeting where he was a guest, he said, you know, he, if, he said people would get up and, and, you know, he was a great man. I'm, I'm sorry, Brother Hagin, but you were. You know, you were a great man. And uh, he said, I'm not a great man. I'm just an ordinary man that has a great God. And, uh, and so because people would want to talk about how much they loved him, you know, if anybody ever introduced him at, at homecoming, one of the, you know, homecoming uh, uh, directors or something of RMAI, you know, everybody loved him so much. And if anybody ever introduced him, they'd want to tell how much they loved him and what he meant to them and what a difference he'd made in, his, in their lives. Brother Hagin, you could see him, he'd, he'd start getting fidgety. He'd get up and if he could, he would cut it off. Because he didn't like people pointing to him. He always pointed people to Jesus. So he said that um, uh, he would never do that because his ministry, I'm quoting here, he said, was not built on personality. It was built on purpose. You see, the thing about it is, I'm quoting here, every one of you have a purpose. He was talking about the people in camp meeting crowd there. He said, you've got the same purpose that I've got. We all, this movement is a forerunner to his second coming. Now notice that, that when Jesus said this to Brother Hagin's mother, he didn't say, your son will be the forerunner. He said, your son will be a forerunner to the second coming of Christ. 
The reason Brother Hagin didn't tell that publicly because he, didn't, he said he didn't want to draw attention to himself. He wanted to draw attention to Jesus. And he said it wasn't about personality. He said, God gave me a message. God gifted me and gave me a message to bring to the body of Christ. And it created a movement. A movement came out of that, the word of faith movement. And he said, this message and this movement is the forerunner. I'm the one that God used, he said, but it's not about me. Does it, do you understand that, the difference? And uh, he said, he said I'm going to quote him more. He said, I went, I, now I was reluctant to tell that, and I have it in all these years. The reason I didn't want to attract attention to myself, I want to attract attention to him. But we need to attract attention to the work of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm still quoting him. So you can readily see as never before, you can see why the devil will fight. You can see why he will put up every obstacle he can because when this gospel, this gospel, this gospel, he said this three times, this gospel is preached to all the world, to every nation as a witness, then shall the end come. So, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying to you is from the earliest days, I always felt when, we, when I went into the ministry, uh, because I had followed dad and, and received impartations from him, I always felt that my ministry, that I, in, in some measure, I'm not a prophet. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not called to be a prophet. He was a prophet and a teacher. I'm a pastor and a teacher. But I received impartations from him. I received some, some anointing that was transferred just like Elijah. Uh, it was followed by Elisha. Now, Elisha was a prophet. And he got a double portion of the anointing that was on, on Elijah. Uh, that hasn't happened to me, but I have received some anointing from Brother Hagin, from Kenneth Hagin, because I followed him. And I've always sensed from the earliest days that, that God had called me to, not as a prophet, but as a pastor and teacher, take the same truths and to be an extension of what God gave Kenneth Hagin. And I've always taught that this church, I've always had that sense. You remember when Jesus uh, came into my room in 1986, I was sitting there on, my, on, the, on the sofa and, and I was out at Camp Kalak was where I was at. And I spent some days out there just fasting and praying and I was in one of those little, uh, uh, those little mobile, are they still there? They have those little mobile uh, cabins across the road. Uh, I was in one of, they had just put them out there. They're brand new. And I, and I spent some time out there just seeking God and fasting and praying. And I'm just reading my Bible. And I was reading right here in Acts, you know, 26, our, our uh, uh, vision scripture. And it was like, I didn't see Jesus, but he walked in the room. I'm telling you, he came in the room. Arise and stand on your feet. When he said that to me and gave me the vision, I instinctively knew that this was an extension of what God had given Kenneth A.K. Kenneth E. Hagan, because that's what Kenneth Hagan did. He, he, he uh, turned men from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan unto God, that they might receive remission of sins and their inheritance. Brother Hagan taught us all about our inheritance in Christ. And so I've always believed that. And, and the thing that was interesting to me, and the reason I'm sharing this now, is uh, the fact that uh, Brother Hagan said, we all, this movement, is a forerunner to his second coming. And he said, you all, have, you all have the same purpose. We all have the same purpose. The message that God gave us, the Pauline revelation, who we are in Christ, our authority, our rights and privileges in Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, 
the full measure of inheritance, healing and prosperity and how to use your faith and the spirit world and how to, to stand against the devil and all of these things. The, this is the message for this hour. Now, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. When Dad Hagen went home to be with the Lord, there were some people who, followed, who had followed him up until that point when Dad Hagen went home to be with the Lord, they started looking for something else. They were started looking for another father. Brother Hagen was their spiritual father, they said, but as soon as he died, they're looking for another spiritual father. I never looked for another spiritual father. Kenneth Hagen, you know, like I said, I've had three spiritual fathers in my life. The last and most significant was Kenneth Hagen. I'm not looking for somebody else. I received what I needed from him. I still have... Uh, you know, his recordings, I still have his books, I still feed on them. Uh, and so people started turning and looking to, for another father. They started looking for another gospel. There are so many guys, pastors, ministers, evangelists and all in, in our circles, people that I went to Bible school with that I've known for decades in ministry. They started looking for another gospel. They said, well, you know, the word of faith movement, is, this is what was said by someone very influential, said, it's dead in the water. It's dead. It's over. We need to find something else. Well, when you, when you do that, you, you start, you get into error. And so they, they went to another gospel. The extreme grace gospel is another gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's, it teaches that anything goes. Sin doesn't matter. That we need to be tolerant of everybody. You know, that, that's not what the Bible teaches. Bible teaches we are to live a holy life. In our churches, we need to have purity in our churches. Amen. We can't just let anything go in our churches. Now, like I said before, you know, a few months ago, if somebody's struggling with an area in their life and they're trying to get uh, over something and get, you know, they're struggling an area of the flesh or something, you know, I'll, I'll work with you, I'll stick with you, I'll, I'll be right with you. I don't care how long it takes. But when people start taking this attitude, brother, Pastor Greg's talked a bit about this in the last two Sundays. People that have this attitude, you know, I don't have to obey God. I can live contrary to the word of God and, and I'm willing to take that risk. That's a terrible situation to be in. Amen. There are people who want to live in adultery and flaunt it in front of everybody. I'm telling you, that day's coming to an end. I said, that day's coming to an end. Pastor Greg talked about a, a young woman that he, uh, this happened many, many years ago. She uh, decided that, you know, she felt like she was in love with another woman. Now, this was a, a young lady who had had boyfriends and was normal, but she allowed herself to be deceived and she eventually, you know, fell into a, to, to a, a lesbian relationship and, you know, Greg tried to talk to her. And she said, you know, I know this is wrong, but I'm, it's, a, it's, a, it's a risk I'm willing to take. I'll, I'll come back to the fold later. I'll straighten this out later, but I'm going to do this for now. Well, later has never come. How many years have gone by? 20 plus years, something like that. And she is completely bound by this, completely. In, she has no... There's no evidence that she has any conscience about it anymore. Well, you know, 
the Apostle Paul said something about sin that was in the church at Corinth. He said, you, you need to put out that person and get rid of that person. Amen. He said, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He said, here's what you do. He said, you're going to have to turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in, in, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've, we've allowed things like this to go on and uh, I, I'm just saying the time is coming in these last days. We're going to have true church discipline. So we're going to have true spirit-empowered church discipline. It's, this is not something you do casually. It's not something you do uh, because you feel angry about something. But I'm telling you, the time is coming when God's not going to put up with these things. People want to live in open sin. Like I said, now you might be struggling with something privately in your life and you're, you're endeavoring to get over it and you might fall back a hundred times. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that just decide, you know what, I'm just going to live a sinful lifestyle. Well, uh, as we get closer to the end, that's not going to work anymore. Amen. That's the truth. People need to repent. People need to repent of this kind of behavior and get their lives right. Amen. People begin to follow after a new level of relevance. We want to be relevant to everybody. And how do you do that? You have to deny the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's watered down worship, unscriptural, soulish worship focused on style and glitz and a big show. Lots of flashing lights, a lot of drama going on, a lot of action, and it's 99% flesh. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's, it's the truth. But all, you know, we've had discussions, well, what about dress? Can we not just dress down? We, our church would really grow if we dressed down. If we just let everybody come in sloppy. Listen, you can come to church any way you want to. But don't give me any grief about the way I come to church. When I was a hippie, I didn't like anybody telling me how to dress then. I don't like it now. Okay? But, but we had this discussion, you know, yeah, if we, if we just dress down, you know, we, our church could grow. Listen, as long as our church is a Holy Ghost-filled church preaching the truth of God's word, we're never going to be popular in this generation I'm not saying that we won't grow. I'm just saying it'll take a move of God to cause a church that's going to yield to the Holy Ghost and let the Spirit of God move. All thing, all other than a move of God that God just comes into a community and changes community, outside of that, that community is never going to flock to a church like that. I'm not trying to speak doom and gloom. I'm just saying they're going to go to churches that make them feel comfortable. That's, isn't, that's where everybody's going? Aren't they all going to the church that is just a big old church that has no rules? It's just another big Baptist. I'm not criticizing Baptists. It's just another big old Baptist church with a different name. They've gotten rid of the Holy Ghost. They just teach, you know, no, no real doctrinal message. Just, you know, uh, give book reports basically on Sunday morning. Well, amen. Glory to God. Churches have man-made, man-honoring, displays of flesh, looking, talking, acting like the world. You know, our job is not to mirror the world. 
so that people will feel comfortable when they come here. Our job is to mirror Christ, mirror the Bible, mirror the word of God, mirror holiness, right living, right thinking, right acting, right looking, everything that's according to the, to the uh, gospel and the message of holy living. That's what we're supposed to mirror. Amen. We're supposed, people are supposed to change because of what we have. We're not supposed to change because of what they have. Amen. I, I, told, I told Greg and Pastor Greg and, and Steve about this uh, summer a year ago after youth camp. I think it was a year ago. I went over to the camp. You know, it was just outside of town here in Calaqua. And uh, they're, having, they're having, you know, praise and worship. And all the young people are down around the front. They're all rushed the front, you know, during worship. And they're all jumping up and down. Now, we believe in dancing in the spirit. Let me read something Brother Hagin said. <clears throat> you got a minute? How long have I been up here? Doesn't, does it? Dancing before the Lord is done in the flesh. God is the spirit. I'm reading from plans, purposes, and pursuits. God is a spirit. You cannot worship him, a spirit being, using fleshly means. Jesus said in John 4 that the Father was seeking true worshipers who would worship him in spirit, who would worship in the spirit. What many people are doing by dancing without the anointing of the spirit is something Jesus spoke to me about at length. They are substituting brass for gold. What do I mean when I say they're substituting brass for gold? He went on to talk about how Solomon, you know, built the temple. Everything was pure gold. And then as some of the other uh, kings backslid, they made alignments with other nations. And, and they gave some of these other kings the gold. They took the gold from the, inside the temple and gave it to these other kings to form an alliance with them. So they, you know, they'd be protected by these other kings instead of relying on God. And... Uh, so Rehoboam, when he came along, he, he took brass and replaced all the stuff that had been in the temple. Had it been gold, he made it out of brass. Well, brass looks like gold, but it's not. And, uh, and that's what Brother Hagin was, and what Jesus was talking about. He said in this charismatic move, Christians have brought the, the brass of the world into the temple uh, of the Lord as a substitute for pure, for pure gold. What they have is a mixture. It's not pure. Therefore, I, cannot, I can only bless my people so far because they've substituted brass for gold. They brought the clapping and the dancing of the world into the temple. Now, in plans, purposes, and pursuits, Jesus talked to Brother Hagin at length about this. This wasn't just a, a, a kind of a brief thing. He spent a lot of time on that. And, uh, and I was over there at the youth meeting, and I've noticed this at Rama. I've noticed, I'm just going to say it. I've noticed it. I go home to Rama Bible Training Center, and all the young people are down the front, and they're just jumping up and down like this, you know, during praise and worship. And they think that's a move of God. That's not, that's not dancing in the spirit. That's flesh dancing. I said, that's flesh dancing. And so I, I don't, I Googled, and you can, if you can Google this, because I did it again last night, and it still came up the same, same uh, uh, response. I Googled dancing up and down, no, jumping up and down in concerts. Jumping up and down in concerts. That's what I Googled. Jumping up and down in concert. Six words. 
The very first thing that came up was a Wikipedia article on the pogo dance. I didn't know that had a name. Jumping up and down like this in concerts, woo that, that actually has a name. It's called the pogo dance. And you know where it came from. Now, it's in churches. All of, I told Stephen Gray, some of our teenagers had kind of slipped into that because all the other teenagers were doing it at camp. So I noticed some of our young people were down there. So when camp was over, I brought Stephen Gray and I said, by the way, we're not having any of this in our youth group. I, I looked up, you read the article on the pogo dance. Would you like to know where it came from? Do you remember a band called a, a band called the Sex Pistols in the 1970s? Sid Vicious was the bass player for this group. And they introduced pogo dancing. That's where it came from. In, in rock concerts, it was called grunge rock, punk rock. And Sid Vicious and the Sex Pistols dance is in churches all over the world right now. Now you think God's pleased with that? That is disgusting. I said, that is disgusting. But that's what I'm talking about. The church has gone to looking like the world, acting like we want to have a rock concert type atmosphere and call that a worship experience. And in, in, in the, the pogo dance is associated with moshing. You know, the mosh pits where everybody, they get up together and they're jumping up and down and then they start frailing around and hitting each other, knocking each other down. They start passing people overhead with their hands, you know. It's, all of that's associated together. Well, thank God we haven't gotten that far in the church <laughs> where they're passing the ushers up from the back to the front, you know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is uh, we have people who knew better and that's what they're into. We, we need to realize that these things are not profitable. God wants us to have New Testament worship that's in spirit and in truth. And like I said, since Brother Hagin has gone home, people have turned away. Now, people have criticized some of us, and they've, they've literally said this about this. They've said, it's just people who, one person I'm thinking about, he still teaches at Ramah. He's, he's out in the field ministry and they bring him in ever so, not so, ever so often to teach at Ramah. He said, You've, you guys are following a dead man because you're following Brother Hagin. He's a dead man. You're following a dead man. I say, really, I was never following Brother Hagin. I was following the ministry and the truth that he brought, not him. In one sense, I followed after him, but what was I really following? I was following the ministry, the truth, and Jesus. The evidence is, if I was following him, I would have done like the other guys did. When he died, I'd have been looking for somebody else to follow. The truth is, they were following a man, and when the man went to heaven, they had to find somebody else to follow. So they turned away from the truth and started following all these other crazy things, and what we're going to do is we're going to follow our purpose. We're going to follow the purpose of this church, the calling of this church, what God has deposited in us because the message and the movement that God raised up is to usher in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because 
when people get in trouble, when crisis comes into people's lives, exotic coffee bins out in the foyer is not going to deliver. Amen. Flashing lights and skinny jeans are not going to deliver. People, people are going to have to have the true delivering power of God in their life. Now, I'm predicting, I'm predicting that the time will come that a lot of these people in these churches, they're going to come up against a, a brick wall in their lives and they're going to want some answers and they're going to be looking for somebody that has answers. Amen. We cannot throw away the answer at this point in the game because somebody's going to need what we have. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Are you getting anything from this? Do you see why I had you read Brother Hagin's book? I want you to understand what our purpose is as a church, that it has to do with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with this critical hour that we're living in and people are turning aside to the right and to the left, but God is protecting a remnant of people like us. I'm not saying that we're better than anybody. This isn't some kind of a separatist thing, you know, to isolate us from other people. I'm saying we've got to be true to the word of God and the spirit of God and the day is coming when the masses are gonna need and are gonna, they need it now, but they're, they're being they're being uh, 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 fed something that's not satisfying. They need what they have, but they're, they're, they're being given a counterfeit right now, and it tastes good and it looks good, but there's no power in it. Well, the time's gonna come when people get tired of candy, when their health starts failing. They're gonna want something they, they, that there's some substance to that'll change their lives. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.